14th verse. It's the key verse this morning. It's the one I have listed in the bulletin. And that verse is a hope verse. It says, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. This is a promise. And I want to share with you what that means for us this morning. And I think when we begin to break open the Word today, that you will have a new appreciation for Jeremiah 29.11 as well. A young man this week walked into a school. Tragedy followed. A community and a nation taken captive. Fear came next. The next day, driving the school bus, some kids refused to go to school. Some said, I'm scared to go. What am I supposed to do? And I said, I won't let anything hurt you on this bus as far as my power. I will come between you and whatever happens. And they said, thank you. Other places are doing actionable preparation already. An active shooter training happened at a large church in Paducah and another training for safe sanctuaries at another church in Paducah. We are planning on doing one here as well. It happened after the tragedy. It usually happens that way, doesn't it? We see it and then we get prepared for the next one rather than being prepared for one that might not happen. Sometimes people say when they pray, I don't know what to pray for. Last Sunday, Marshall County needed it, but we didn't know it yet. We didn't pray for Marshall and church last Sunday, but did you separately? Did you pray for the high schools and their safety? We don't know that it would happen. The week before, no school, no tragedy. That following week, we're going, we get to go back to school. Now we're going, we wish it wouldn't have. Who was praying for Marshall last Sunday? Think about that for a moment. Think about what happened and hear these words from Jeremiah as you see those images flash through your mind and listen to these verses. This verse, Jeremiah 29.11. The Lord says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you future and a hope. Rings kind of hollow, doesn't it? Doesn't seem like there's not a thought of evil there. Seems like it's a little hopeless. Seems a little tragic. But i got to tell you something. That Jeremiah 29.11 can't happen until you read Jeremiah 29.1 and know the context. In Jeremiah 29.1, it talks about who he is talking to. He's talking to people who are carried away captive to a foreign nation. They have been there for a while. All of the elders, the priests, the prophets... All the people whom the king, Nebuchadnezzar, carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. It was a Babylonian captivity. This letter was sent to them. God says, I know what plans I have for you, not for evil, but to give you hope in the future. And they're looking around at devastation. Just like we are. 
Hope in the future come is good news, don't they, to those lifeless and hopeless. But not when they're insecure. This hope speaks to broken people. They need to know. But their future has been cut short for some of their lives. Some of their hopes and dreams will never be the same and will never exist. But I have to tell you something. You can't have a glorious thing without a heartbreak. You won't know the true blessing of God unless you found a life broken and alienated from God. This week, we as a nation and especially community and region have taken what AA calls step one. We've admit that we are powerless over certain things in our lives and that things have become unmanageable. This is what it says in paraphrase. Unmanageability, we saw it. I was driving the bus and they were coming across the radio with the chatter about it. I heard that they had to call the bus drivers back. And they had to send the kids to another location. Kids ran. You look at that and we go, what could we have done? Powerless to stop it. After the fact or during. But what about before the fact? Right now we have a sense of loss. Like the world is somehow broken in another place. We now know what it's like to be a captive. To be taken away from peace. Safety. Familiar. It happened when the shuttle blew up. The first one, Challenger. It happened with Heath High School. It happened with Columbine. Sandy Hook. It feels like parts of our life are scattered and broken and just not as safe of a world anymore. And we want to live more behind locked doors and watch our backs and, 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 and lock buildings and uh, make sure there's someone posted watching who uh, will keep us safe. Because we know things aren't where in our lives that they should be or as they should be in the world anymore. But the world is going crazy. And so we try to make changes and fix things, but it seems like what we do is never enough. Try to help people. And they keep going back to the mess they came from. And the world gets worse. And so we wonder what this effort's for. We throw our hands up and say, I give up! I can't make a difference. I can't seem to make life work or help anybody without something else always interfering with it. You ever felt that way? I was feeling that way all week. I'll tell you, one of the craziest things that happened this week was a very thoughtful teacher for the children, not for a bus driver, gave them sticky balls. (laughs) If you're not sure what they are, they have a little light up in them and little like uh, plastic suction cups on them in a ball shape. You throw it and they stick and roll down things. Gave them to them right before they got on a bus. I had a zoo. I was unmanageable. I said, stop throwing the balls. There goes another one. I felt helpless, hopeless. I said, I give up. This is a zoo. 
Even the other kids on the bus who didn't have them said, this was crazy. It was. Oh my gosh, flying objects. I was laughing because it was funny. I would have done the same thing as a kid. You don't give them to them right before school's out. Give them in the morning and let them throw them around the classroom. No. Help the poor bus driver make his life miserable. So when that happened, it felt like, what can I do to fix this? There's nothing. There's a part missing here, and that is control. Our control was taken this week. And it kept happening over and over again for me. And it seemed like tragedy after tragedy was happening this week. Not only with uh, the school, with Brenda. And we turn around and Brianna gets sick. And other people are sick. And then other things happen. And, and things flare up in other areas. It's like, man, what's going on? This is called captivity. Mm-hmm. It's not freedom. Maybe it feels for you like something's lost. You just can't seem to find it. Some people describe it, I got this hole inside and I don't know how to fill it. Things don't seem to work out. Don't know why, but something is always coming up short or I'm lacking in the equation of life just doesn't seem to balance. If you ever tried to balance your checkbook and you got like, a dollar you can't find or ten cents here and you spend three hours trying to find ten cents rather than going, it's only ten cents. Sometimes we get too serious about things, sometimes not serious enough. So we try harder to do it better and the end result is worse than when we started. The fact of the matter is this heartbreak of being out of control and watching our world become decimated in front of us is a very scary thing. Fear can definitely rise up. And I promise you, I promise you there were more than one parent that said, I'm not sending my children to school. But there were sheriffs posted at every single McCracken County school the next day. So parents would feel safe. What about the day before? Things change, don't they? They do. And the world becomes a little more tighter, a little more fearful. And what do we do? What can we think? But there's more at play here, isn't there? It's not just that that's happening, but when we become disobedient or sinful in our lives, God lets the tragedy come in. He takes away the protection that's around us and says, if you don't want to follow Me, I will let you to your own devices. I'll take away the protection. Because we're saying, God, I want to do it my way, not yours. And God says, your way reaps your results. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap to the flesh. If you sow to the Spirit, you will reap to the Spirit. If you sow to yourself, you will reap selfish motive and selfish results and the world will take. But if you're sowing in grace and mercy... Scripture says, cast it on the water and it will come back to you. There's a way to tell if you've been taken captive. If you believe that you can't forgive someone in your life or you can't trust anyone anymore, it's a sign that your ability to love has been taken captive. Did you know God has not stopped loving us? That's right. Amen. 
Although we may walk away from God and tell the world that He doesn't exist and be angry with God and refuse to pray or serve, God does not say, well, I can't forgive that. I don't trust you. I don't want you anymore. He says, I'm still here. I love you. Grace and redemption is available if you turn back. God does not operate like people. And unfortunately, most people don't operate like God. God knows no restrictions on His love for us. He proved that by giving us His Son. No restrictions. I'm going to show you that there's nothing to come between us. Even says in Romans, no, neither depth, nor height, nor love, uh, fear, nor angels, nor powers, nor principalities, nor loss, not things that pass, not things that come, not things in the heaven, not spiritual, nothing. Nothing whatsoever shall ever be able, ever, ever, ever be able to separate us from the love of God as found in Jesus Christ. Nothing can take it away. It's one of the most powerful verses in Romans chapter 8, and there's a bunch of them in that chapter. God loves us beyond our ability to love Him back. God loves us beyond our ability to be obedient. But He does not say, I'm going to bless you for your disobedience. He says, if you want to go your way, go ahead and I'll let you see what that reaps. Our country has gradually slipped away from God and you see the results. We are gradually and now more quickly becoming a godless society. Unfortunately, the churches remains mostly silent. But if you come back to obedience, back to God, He will bring you back to the right place. He will plant you where you belong. He will bring back your captivity. Now let me share this with you. You can't do it. It's not something you're able to do. And Scripture says you're not allowed to do it. That's God's job. That's a God-sized task. You cannot fix this. The first step, and there are five that I have here, the first step is to acknowledge the situation. The situation is that we are a godless society, we are sinful people in a sinful world, and that's the situation. It's not a perfect society. It's void of God more and more. In Amos chapter 9, it talks about what God's doing here. I have it for you on the screen. Verses 14 and 15. Okay. I'll read it to you as well. As soon as I get there. And in Amos, what he's talking about for us is God's planting that I was telling you about. And here's what He says. I will bring back the captives of My people, Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. This is a non-violent culture, planting gardens. Understand, that's a non-violent activity. 
means your swords are beat into plowshares. And he says, I, says God, I will plant them in their land. Not we will plant ourselves. God, I will plant them in their land and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land that I've given them, says the Lord your God. God's going to put you in a place where nobody can pull you out of it. What God gives you, nobody can take away. And nobody can give you that but God. In our country, we're experiencing an uprooting. We've been uprooted from peace and security and safety. And now we're in this place called captivity where our emotions are held captive by fear or, or by an unwilling spirit, if you will. So the second step toward healing is to admit our part in it. And the first step was to acknowledge the situation. The second step is to admit our part in it. So what is our part in it? We bought into the fear. We've not followed God with our whole heart and our whole mind and strength. We have followed other pathways. We've chosen selfish interests. We've chosen to listen to other voices. This is our part. When we admit it, we also need to confess it. Not just say, yeah, that's true. When you say, God, I've done this and it's caused irreparable damage in some areas. You might say, but I didn't do anything over in Marshall County. It doesn't matter. Enough people not following God creates a culture of godlessness. We are ourselves responsible for our part and nobody else's. So whatever your part is, whether you don't know what it is or whether you do, we are all turned away from God. That's our part. If you look at Deuteronomy 30, I don't advise you to pull all that thing up, Kevin, but we have some verses there, um, verses in the beginning and at the end that I want to share with you. It talks about the third step. And the third step is come back to God. I don't mean get replanted, but come back to God. In the first couple of verses in Deuteronomy, it says, It shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind, among all the nations where your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey His voice, according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity. The Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. Moses is saying this in the book of Deuteronomy to the entire nation of Israel that has been united for 40 years. They're not scattered. They've been nomads. They are not scattered at this point. But he says when you cross over that Jordan, you're going to be scattered one day because you haven't chosen God. But when you do come back, God will bring you back from captivity. He says, If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord God will gather you. From there He will bring you. There's a lot of people that say, God's mad at me. He can't bring me back. I've gone too far. That is not true. There is no such thing as an unredeemable life or an unredeemable soul. There is nobody that God can't save. They can't save themselves. And the world can't do it. 
And they can't just make the choice to be a better person. God has to do it. And in verse 6, he says, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the... Listen to this. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. The word isn't survive. The word is live. I don't know about you, but walking around in fear and over my shoulder wondering if there's somebody crazy at the school that day after I pull up with the bus and looking around, checking everything, that's surviving. That's not thriving. God has created us to thrive. But it hasn't happened all the time. And so he goes on to say that this commandment isn't difficult. And in verse 19 he says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Choosing life is to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And follow His statutes and all that you do. And verse 20, here's the key. I love Deuteronomy 30.20. And it's about up there for you. That you may love the Lord your God First, that you may obey His voice and that you may cling to Him. For He is your life and the length of your days so that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob forgive them. To dwell means to live, move about, be prosperous, have your harvest and your seed time, to have all those things that make life make sense in proper season, without fear of it being taken away. And all we have to do is choose to love the Lord your God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Sounds simple, doesn't it? But the third step is to come back to God. Because we haven't chosen God. None of us. Please understand that's the most heartbreaking statement that we can say is we have not chosen God. I have not chosen God. You have not chosen God. But coming back to God, you you can. And God will bring you back when you do so. What's the fourth step? It's found in Jeremiah 33. I love this passage. This is so neat. It's uh, verses 7 through 11 and 15. And it says, I will cause the captives of Judah and the captives of Israel to return. And I will rebuild those places at the first, or just like they were. I will cleanse them from all their iniquity. Sin is gone. It means you can have a relationship with God. By which they have sinned against me, and I will pardon their iniquities, which is not the same as a sin. Because sins and iniquities are two different things. And the iniquities by which they have sinned and by which they have transgressed against me. Then it shall be to me a name of joy, of praise. You hear this? It shall be a name of praise on your lips. And an honor before all nations of the earth who shall hear all the good that I do to them. That God is doing, bringing you back. 
They shall fear and tremble for all the goodness and all the prosperity that I provide for it. Thus says the Lord again, Thou shall be heard in this place of which you say, Listen to this. This is what we're saying right now in our country. It is desolate. It's desolate. It's not a safe place. It's a, it's a place people want to abandon rather than be in. Without man, without beast. In the cities of Jerusalem, in the streets of Jerusalem that are, of Judah and Jerusalem that are desolate. Without man, habitant, or beast. There, in the desolate place. The voice of joy and the voice of gladness. The voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. The voice of those who will say, praise the Lord of hosts. For the Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. And of those who will bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. For I will cause the captives of the land to return, says the Lord. Is that the first? That God will do this. And when He does it, the proper response is to praise Him. In verse 15 it says, In those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. This is talking about Jesus. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Folks, I don't know about you, but I heard a lot of people wanting judgment and righteousness this week. That's Jesus' job. In that day, when we are returned and love the Lord God with all our strength, soul, mind, and heart, Jesus will begin to judge in righteousness and execute judgment. He will, by executing judgment, He means He's going to act. And that's a really good thing if you ask me. So the fourth step is God is going to cleanse us from iniquity and bring us joy and cause a branch to grow up in David. The fourth step is what God's going to do. His work. He's going to restore us to Himself. And bring joy back. I don't know about you. But that's a tough word to hear if you're still grieving the loss of your child. Not just Marshall County, but now the Rogers family. Or grieving the loss of someone you love. Or a loss of a friend or a job or anything like that. That's a painful place. And it's really hard to hear that joy is going to come to you. But it only comes when you see that you're in a desolate place and God brings you back and restores it. We can't restore this stuff. We can't. But being obedient and loving God, He will. He will. He's promised He will. But that's where the hard part is. Because in Isaiah 61.1, it tells us the exact words we don't want to hear. Unfortunately. But this is Jesus in Isaiah that is speaking of. And Jesus quotes this in our Gospel. He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. Or good news. The gospel to those who can't pay for it. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. 
and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, and we're in Zion today, to give them beauty for ashes or brokenness, oil of joy for their mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, they may be called trees of righteousness, a planting, there it is again, of the Lord, that He may be glorified. And then they'll rebuild the old ruins, raise up the desolate places, repair the ruined cities, the desolations of generations. See, the fifth step is to learn to live free and to tell others of God. The others are still captive. So we read Jeremiah 29.11 one more time. For I know the Lord, says the Lord, I know the plans that I have for you, plans that prosper you, to give you hope and a future. And it all sounds good. But in 13, again, he says that you cannot have this without, first of all, seeking the Lord with all your heart. And he says, and when you seek me and find me, you will find me, says the Lord. When he's all you want. When there's nothing else you want more. When you know that every last breath of your body comes from God and returns to him. And he says, when that comes, I will be found by you. I will be found by you. You say, I can't find God. If you seek him with all your heart, God says you will be. And He will bring you back from the place where you felt desolate and lost without Him. Yesterday morning, I had a choice to make. Not a difficult choice. But in my office, I have this little brown chair where I sit and I read my Scriptures uh, for devotional and things like that. And, um, and I'm reading through First and Second Kings. And yesterday I looked over at the Bible sitting on the, on the um, what do you call that, end table by the chair. And I said, I need to read that. It would be a good idea. And as I looked at it, I felt the Lord impress upon my heart something that I want to press upon your heart today. And it's a whole thing driving this message. I said, God, I really need to read that. And he's going, you don't get it, do you? I said, what do you mean? I really need to read that. He's going, you don't get it, do you? And I said, well, I'm going to do some work here on some stuff and get my bus ride together and I'm going to read that. You know, I'm going to do it, God. I'm going to read that thing. I'm going to do it. Talking about going to do stuff last week, right? Mm -hmm. And he put it on my heart. He said, that's me. That's our time. That book is holy. You're looking at it as something where you can just decide whether or not you do it or not. And I said, what do you mean? I mean, you know, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going, I promise I'm going to read my chapters today. And he said, you, don't, you still don't get this. This book is about me and you in relationship. It's not something you're going to do. It's something you either have or you don't have. You either desire to know me and see my word out to you, which reveals me which shows you my character, is the way I can speak to you, which blesses you, and you say, you're going to do it. But you don't say, this is life to you. You can bypass the moment if you so choose. By saying you're going to, you say you might. Not, I have to. 
This is life to me. Life and death. If God is in life and death matter to you, and read His words in life and death, where are you standing on? We're still captive to other things. And we're still scattered in our life because we don't have the one thing being the one thing. God has said very clearly in His Word, choose life to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. To be obedient to Him and walk with Him and seek Him. Well, I'm going to. What? It can't be a going to thing. Either I am or I am not. Either I'm walking with God or I'm captive to other things that seem more pressing. Shouldn't my relationship with God, when I look at that Scripture, this is what God pressed on my heart. Shouldn't that be first? I say, God, God you, you mean that place is our place? <laughs> if I do this, you'll bless? Yes. But if you want to do that other stuff first, you go ahead, but you'll have the consequences of the other stuff. What do you wish to read to? So you got other stuff crowded in your end table. Other stuff there distracting you. What's your priority here? Mm-hmm. Is it a priority or is it actually your life? Amen. It's like breathing. Well, I'm going to breathe. No. <laughs> no. I am breathing. I'm talking about breathing. You can tell. Right? So, it's the same type of response God wants for us that every breath of our life would be in devotion to Him. That until every breath we take is lived out in a praise to Him by what we do, think, or say, that we're still captive in those areas that aren't. God will bring us back, but we have to search Him and seek Him with all of our heart, and then we will find Him. God, you're not answering my prayers. God said, you're not seeking me. Oh God, I prayed this morning. <laughs> are, we, are we losing our mind by saying that? No, we're not losing our mind. We're losing our faith. That's right. Our faith is now. Our relationship and prayer is always now. And that's what God has asked us to do. Is stop being captives. Jesus Himself said it's an acceptable day today to proclaim release of the captives and the gospel for those who can't pay for it. We all get it. But we seem to think we have a choice in the matter as to when and how. Nowhere does it say. Well, you can do whatever you want. The part of Henry of Deuteronomy and this is what I close with. It says, In that day, says the Lord, I will write my word on their heart. I will write my law on their heart. Mm-hmm. That they won't have to look for it. That they will have it within them. Why are we settling for less than an empowered, God-filled life? We each one can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be free. Amen. Abundant life, says Jesus. Mm-hmm. But we look at it and we think it's pretty good. 
compared to others and not compared to God's best. And the question is, are you happy being captive? That's the question you need to answer today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I have indeed many times been pulled in many directions, held captive. Kept my eyes focused on this world rather than the next, forgetting that I'm a member of your kingdom and a citizen of that one in this world who has nothing on me. It holds nothing for me. There is nothing this world can offer that would make your kingdom more appealing. So Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that each one of us would allow your Holy Spirit to examine us and check and see within us if we indeed have been taken away. That our full life is in your hand. If that's the case, Heavenly Father, and I know that our lives can always be closer to you. But if that is the case, that you would show us today the way to come back. Say, God, I need you. I'm living for you. I choose nothing but you. Regardless of how I feel, of what I think, God, I'm going to trust that your word trumps all of that. For you are my God, and you are the length of my days. And without you, I have nothing. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you will to set us free. Amen. Our closing hymn is Beulah Land. I love this uh,